Greetings, broadcasting from a post-apocalyptic bunker hiding from the wastelands above. This is the Rabbit Hole Wanderer Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the RHW Pod. Once again, I am your host, Brian. I have been receiving great feedback from our debut episode, and for that, I thank you. This wouldn't be possible without each and every one of you out there, so listening, I appreciate the support and encourage your interactions. Hey, I want to take a minute and encourage anyone who has suggestions on what to cover to go ahead and get at me on any of the social media platforms I mentioned at the end of the episode or email me at thenomad513 at yahoo.com. Is anybody else out there ready to retire summer for the year and transition into fall? Maybe I'm just over this heat already, but god dang, I want hoodie weather. That's my favorite time of the year. Besides, you know the creepy season comes right behind it. Now, lend me your ears as I take you on a journey into the mind-blowing and heart-stopping abyss we are going to cover tonight. Prepare yourself for sleep paralysis and lucid dreaming. Disclaimer, the following episode contains details that may be considered eerie, demonic, or just really freaking messed up. You're awake, yet you're asleep. You know what's going on, but you cannot move. Who's experienced this? This is some really freaky stuff, and I believe it gets deeper than you think. It's called sleep paralysis. Now, you may or may not have heard about it. I know that some people that I've talked to think it's just some big joke, some myth. Well, other people I've talked to swear by it. You'll hear stories later on in the show from some people that experience it firsthand, myself being one of them. I, I can't now I can't really paint a picture for you guys of, of what it's like without actually going through each detail and laying out the map work for you so that's what we're going to do we're going to do our best to vividly describe just what this condition's what it is and and what it's about 
fortunately, I met a lady through a mutual friend who knows quite a bit about this, and actually her son experiences it firsthand, so she's quite knowledgeable on it. So later on, you'll hear her testimony and firsthand experiences and her knowledge on it, and then we will go from there and discuss it, talk about it, and hopefully after that you'll have a, a little more understanding about it. So without further ado, let's get this started. So initially I was going to give you the breakdown and educate you on what exactly by definition sleep paralysis was and what causes it and how to treat and prevent it, but our run-in guest, Karen, fortunately did all that and she actually is a retired ER nurse, so I'll let her take the lead on that. So we're just going to bypass that and I'm just going to give you some statistics on it. As crazy as sleep paralysis is, it's more common than you may suspect. In 2011, 3,600 Americans were asked if they have experienced sleep paralysis. 65% of them answered yes. The common age range was between 16 and 43 years of age. On another survey, a systematic online survey of 1,928 participants who experienced sleep paralysis of ages 18 to 82 revealed that 53% of them were female participants. It's pretty interesting. I never would have guessed that uh, so many people would have experienced this. You hear about this thing and it, you first think, you know, it can't be real. It's a myth. But the more you hear about it and become educated about it, you think, this really is a real thing. And you, you realize that so many people other than yourself or whomever you're speaking to that has went through it have actually faced the same thing and it's more common it's just mind-blowing to think about because you go from not knowing much about it or not believing in it to it being a very household term it's just ironic if you want to put it that way so there's two different types of sleep paralysis. There's hypnagogic, which occurs just before falling asleep, and hypnopompic, which occurs just after waking up. It's like that in-between process of sleep to awake. So from the time that you are sleeping to just waking up, that's the hypnopompic area. Kind of the way I understand it, it's all the same does all the same things it's just those two types just happen to be in two different time periods uh, again the hypnagogic would be just before falling asleep so you're in that transition of sleeping to deep sleep so within the first couple hours I guess before you actually fall deep into that really deep sleep so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to throw it over to Karen and let her educate you on sleep paralysis, the definition of it, 
the structure of it, how to treat it, what causes it, and her experiences and you know firsthand dealings with it. And then I'm going to piggyback on the end of that with a little bit of commentary before sharing some other experiences and my own. So without further ado, here's Karen. Hi, my name is Karen. I'm a retired ER nurse, and I am happy to be invited from Brian to speak on the topic of sleep paralysis on this awesome new podcast. Sleep paralysis is many people's worst nightmare. See what I did there? I cannot speak on it from direct personal experience, but my son suffers from it. He's now 27 years old, and he told me that he remembers it starting when he was about 10. I was really upset because I wasn't able to help him. He told me that he just thought it was a normal part of sleeping. I'll give some insight about his experience as I go along. So what is sleep paralysis? It's a temporary inability to move or speak that occurs when you're waking or falling asleep. It's not harmful and should pass in a few seconds or minutes, but it is very scary. Many people have sleep paralysis once or twice in their life, while others experience it a few times a month or more regularly. It affects people of all ages and is most common in teenagers and young adults. My son said that it happens to him weekly and sometimes every night for a stretch of time. So what are the symptoms of sleep paralysis? The main symptom is being completely aware of your surroundings, but temporarily being unable to move or talk. And this occurs as you're waking up, but like I said, can occur when you're falling asleep. And during an episode of sleep paralysis, you may find it difficult to take deep breaths as if your chest is being crushed or restricted. You may or may not be able to open your eyes. You have a sensation that there is someone or something in the room with you. You may have some auditory or visual hallucinations. Some people have the sensation that someone is in the room with them, and many feel that the presence wishes to harm them. They feel very frightened. Now, as this passes, you'll be able to move and speak as normal afterwards, although you may feel unsettled and anxious about going to sleep again. My son says that he has felt anxiety about this in the past, but has found his own way of coping with it. He knows that it's not harmful. And the way that he gets himself out of it is by willing himself to move his fingers or hand to pinch himself awake. He sleeps in a specific way to facilitate this. And it sounds really awful to me, but, you know, he just blows it off. So when should you go see a doctor? In many cases, sleep paralysis is a one-off and won't happen again. It's not harmful, and it's usually a sign of an underlying problem. I'll get to those in a minute. But it's a good idea to see a doctor if you experience sleep paralysis regularly, feel very anxious about going to sleep, or struggling to get enough sleep. You feel very sleepy during the day, or have episodes where you fall asleep suddenly or lose muscle control. These are the symptoms of a related sleep disorder called narcolepsy, where you can't control when you fall asleep. Your GP may suggest ways to improve your sleep. If your symptoms are severe, they may refer you to a sleep specialist for a sleep study or maybe a neurologist. So what causes it? Well, sleep paralysis happens when parts of the rapid eye movement or REM sleep occur while you're awake. The REM is a stage of sleep when your brain is very active and this is when dreams often occur. The body is unable to move apart from the eyes and the muscles used in breathing. 
the muscles used in breathing are from a part of your brain that's called the autonomic nervous system, which it works constantly without you being conscious of it. And this process happens possibly to stop us from acting out in our dreams and hurting ourselves. It's not clear why REM sleep can sometimes occur while you're awake, but it is associated with insomnia or irregular sleeping patterns, like people who have jet lag or, or work shift work, a family history of sleep paralysis, and maybe sleeping on your back. So what are the treatments? Sleep paralysis often gets better over time, but improving sleeping habits and sleeping environment may help, and that just helps everybody. So some of these treatments may sound silly because, you know, they're quite obvious, and if you have something like this, this is probably or pretty close to impossible to do to begin with. So, okay, get a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Most adults need six to eight hours of good quality sleep at night. Go to bed roughly at the same time each night. I mean, these are all sleep hygiene suggestions. I'm sure you've heard of them before. You know, nice, comfortable, quiet, dark environment, not too hot or cold. Avoid eating big meals, smoking, blah, blah, blah. We know all those things. Because many people experience visual or auditory hallucinations during sleep paralysis, this phenomenon has long been explained by paranormal or demonic activity. In many cultures throughout history, malevolent spirits, demons, and even witches have been blamed for sleep paralysis attacks. Today, this may account for many modern reports of ghost visitations, alien abductions, and out-of-body experiences. I am a paranormal investigator myself, so I believe that many of these experiences may actually be happening. Though I also have a science brain which believes that there is a biological um, component to it, of course. But I do think there are ghosts and possibly alien uh, abductions. So anyway, let's, let's go through some of these, uh, these cool lores, lore tales. So the first one is the old hag. It's uh, many people who experience sleep paralysis report that feeling of intense pressure on their chest, which is often interpreted as an entity crushing or sitting on a person's chest. And one common explanation for this phenomenon is a visitation by a demonic finger known as the old hag. That actually comes from my end of the world, Canada, um, where the myth of the old hag is, is very prevalent in Newfoundland. The myth of the old hag is so widespread that sleep paralysis is also sometimes known as old hag syndrome. Myths surrounding the old hag come from superstitious beliefs of a witch or demonic entity um, who rides on their victim's chest during the night. These stories tell of an old witch maliciously sitting on the chest of their victims while they lay in bed or of curses placed upon unsuspecting individuals by this witch, causing them to experience this terror during the night. People who believe that they have been visited or cursed by the old hag report feeling an evil presence in their bedroom during the attack. The next is the incubi and succubi. I'm sure all of you have heard of that, or most of you anyway. In some cultures, the myth of the incubi and succubi visitations are also used to explain this phenomenon. So, what are they? According to folklore, an incubus is a demon that takes on a male form and lies with people, usually women, as they sleep. In many cases, the incubus demon has sexual intercourse with the sleeping woman. And a succubus is the female counterpart to the incubus, and it usually seeks out male victims. And the succubi also are said to have 
intercourse with the sleeping victim. Nighttime visitations from ghosts or malevolent spirits may have also been blamed for this phenomenon. Even in modern times, beliefs in ghosts and other spirits are not uncommon. Modern victims of sleep paralysis phenomenon may attribute their experiences to evil spirits or ghosts. And many people report feeling an evil presence in their room during the attacks. Depending on the person's particular belief or worldview, they may interpret this as a ghost or a demonic being or a malevolent spirit. A person's spiritual beliefs often shape these forms that these hallucinations take. People who believe in ghost stories are most likely to believe a malevolent ghost, and religious people may see it as demonic or to do with the devil. Again, I'm a paranormal investigator, so I do believe in ghosts and all this other stuff, but I can see how it could cross over to a biological basis. The next one is alien abduction. While the experience of sleep paralysis has been associated with the encounters with dangerous spiritual energies throughout history, the feeling of immobility and fear may be interpreted as an encounter with alien beings by those who are familiar with the cultural narratives throughout alien abductions. Because the hallucinations are common, like I said, some people who experience this frightening event may feel, see, or even hear things that hint at an alien abduction. And of course, it is said that people with pre-existing belief in the paranormal are much more likely to attribute these episodes to paranormal activity. Next are out-of-body experiences and astral projection. One of the less frightening common paranormal explanations for this is related to the process of returning from an out-of-body experience or astral projection. An out-of-body experience is that of a sensation of floating outside one's body, and in some cases the feeling of perceiving one's body as it is from somewhere outside of it, like you can look down on yourself. And astral projection is the process of willfully experiencing an out-of-body experience and using your spirit or astral body to travel anywhere in the universe in the blink of an eye. So, there you have it. There are some really interesting beliefs from a folklore level that could have some real basis in reality. And of course, we've got the biological explanations of it. So, the question is, what do you believe? Thank you, Brian, for letting me come onto the show and have a little talk about this. And you are doing a great job. And I can't wait to listen to more episodes on your awesome podcast. Take care. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule of whatever it is that you normally do to educate us and give us insight on sleep paralysis and your your personal experiences with it as far as learning about it, dealing with it, coping with it, and just, um, you know, really drawing us in and, and getting us all informed as to how deep this thing goes. But I want to piggyback on that and actually bring up a couple of hallucinations that I read about or heard about that didn't make your list. And uh, that is family members or friends who are alive but not around, uh, but you know exactly where they are. For instance, let's say that um, say that you're laying in bed and you have an uncle or somebody that you're related to or a best friend that you know is on vacation miles and miles away. But you hear a knock on your door or you wake up 
and you you hear them talking to you, but you're thinking, what the hell? That can't be them. That's that's what I'm talking about. You hear somebody who's not really there. So I don't know if you want to say it's a play on, you know, uh, like an, an audio play, or if it's more of a hallucination, one way or the other. It's the sense of somebody being there who's not. So the other one I have is shadow people. You know, the creepy things that hide in the corner. Ones that have no face but have a silhouette. Could be of many different stature or, you know, it could be short and stubby to tall and slender. But they're dark, mysterious figures varying in length and size. Like I said, they're they're generally faceless with uh, long fingertips or long shadowy teeth. They just pop out of nowhere and they, uh, they just kind of creep from a distance and they don't really, they don't, they don't touch you, they don't, they don't do anything, but they just kind of scare the living crap out of you. You know, they, they could sit all the way across the room and all you can see is that. And that alone is enough to scare the living crap out of you. But I've heard stories to where they're sitting right there on top of you and staring right down at you, but, but faceless, nothing there. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine waking up, not being able to move your body, and you see this blackened, dark, you know, demonic-looking figure staring you in the face with with no uh, no real intention of anything, kind of like an Undertaker-type stare. But with no eyes and no mouth, it just creepily watches over top of you. And I'm not sure if creepily is a word, but it is now. I just coined it. But it's just, it's eerie. You know, it's the kind of thing that sends chills up your spine and makes the hairs on your arms stand up. Yeah, ugh, I don't know. But there's a, a comedian, an actor, Seth Green. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's played in... The Austin Powers movies. He's uh, he's played the voice on uh, Family Guy. He's been in a bunch of bunch of things. Funny little guy. But he actually there's a YouTube video that I, I don't have the link for right now in front of me, or even the name of the video. But he did an interview on there talking about sleep paralysis and a little bit of his experiences. And and I'm paraphrasing, so I'm not exactly saying it word for word, but he basically said that horror films do not scare him anymore because the things he has seen during hallucinations was far worse. He stated that um, during this video about sleep paralysis that one time he saw a figure that looked like his mother sitting at the end of his bed, then her face morphed into a demon. Just, just morphed right there. Went from sweet and innocent and caring to, you know, I'm just going to eat your face off quicker than a blink of an eye. I mean, god dang, man. If you're going to pick something that's going to creep you out, 
what better way than something you trust, you know? Yes. Demons is it's really got to play for you, you know? They, they, they really, really know how to do it. He said on another night that uh, he saw a little girl sitting in the corner of his room. And then suddenly she began to shriek really loud. And she ran up and grabbed him by the neck. And as she began to choke him, he snapped out of it. What the hell? When it comes to, to, I don't know, he didn't specify the age of this little girl, but little and girl gives me the impression it's a kid. And whenever you bring anything paranormal or, you know, of that chiller nature and kids together, it just amplifies it times 100. Just so much more creepy. I just, man, I don't know. I think that would scare me more than the mother thing. But that's just my opinion. So I'm actually going to share with you a couple different experiences with sleep paralysis that I had. And uh, I'll start with the one the most recent, which ironically happened while I was prepping for this episode. You know, I actually experienced this while researching and starting to record. And I'm guessing, you know, based on some of the research I said, excuse me, that I read, easy for me to say, said that um, you could trigger sleep paralysis if you stay up late and get minimal amounts of sleep and you read a bunch about sleep paralysis and you just kind of get that mindset for it and then you, you go to sleep late and it's just like your brain kicks it and starts triggering it automatically. Well, that's what happened to me. You know, it wasn't to the extent of hallucinations, but it took some time for me to come to. Uh, and I came up from doing a bunch of reading on the topic, you know, plus the research and whatnot. And at this time, it was early hours in the morning or late at night, depending on your perspective. But I fell asleep on the couch, which in my house is the ground level. We have an upstairs, and then we have the basement, and then we have our ground level. Well, the next thing I knew, I woke up. I could look around, but only with just my eyes. You know, I was in, I was laying in my family room on the couch, and everything felt like it was normal, but I, I couldn't move anything. You know, I felt like there was two thousand pound weights on my arms and legs. You know, preventing me from being able to function properly. So I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, or I'm laying there, and once I kind of comprehended what was going on, I, you know, I kind of sensed that something wasn't right. Well, this time I began to freak out, and uh, you know, because I couldn't move, and my chest starts to hurt, and it's getting really heavy and hard to breathe. You know, it felt like I was gonna have a panic attack or something. You know, I didn't see anything in the room with me, and and like I said, it was hard to breathe, but. At this point, I realize that this isn't really, you know, me looking around, experiencing this in reality. This has to be a dream. So then I start thinking some more, and as it felt like I was putting all might into me to try to lift up and nothing were happening, I figured this must be sleep paralysis. And after many, many minutes of freaking out, I was finally able to gain control and calm myself. 
and I, you know, I told myself this wasn't real. And once I, I calmed down, things that will be back the way that they should be. I got in that mindset of this is just sleep paralysis. You know, I thought maybe if I calm my mind, everything will be, you know, completely good. A few more minutes passed, and the next thing I knew, I woke up fully functional, breathing heavy and sweating, of course, but I was able to look around and move and everything. I tell you, though, even though nothing demonic happened to me, it scared the living hell out of me. Enough to where I was a little hesitant on going back to sleep. Yeah, it just, it really grabbed a hold of me. Because I, I, let alone, don't like not being able to breathe. I'm not a fan of dying. But laying there, feeling like you're dying and fully awake, not good. But the other experience I had was when I was younger. And this actually was reoccurring. It happened a few times. But I would get similar dreams and similar outcomes. And I remember one in particular. I, I would be conscious in my dream, but unable to move. I was frozen or turning into concrete. It, it, you know, it felt like slowly everything was quitting on me and just I, I, I turned to a statue and I watched as family members of mine were being harmed or you know even worse something slowly would be cutting my head off or you know I couldn't do anything to stop it I was powerless to stop it and because I couldn't move I couldn't yell I couldn't even cry after several occurrences of these dreams, it eventually went away and everything returned to the way it should. But, you know, it would always leave me in a state of fear and confusion on what was real. The same things happened where I couldn't breathe and my chest was heavy and I'd be drenched in sweat. Now, as I said, I was a child when these things occurred. Never understood why these happened to me and how they went away. Just happy that they did. You know, in some of these dreams, I would be talking. It was like mid-breath. I'd be talking and just say, it would stop. Like that. And I couldn't breathe. And I now realize that it was triggered sleep paralysis. You know, granted, I was in a dream and I was sleeping in reality. But I was talking in this dream. And that's that's at the moment that I, I must have triggered into the sleep paralysis. Because... Even to this day, when you are in a sentence or somebody says something and they cut their sentence off real quick, you know, just the way I just did a few minutes ago, it makes me, it doesn't, I'm not afraid of it and it doesn't make me jittery, but it just reminds me of that and it's just, ugh, it's creepy. You know, that seems to be the common theme here with sleep paralysis is creepy. I don't know. But I'm curious, could it be possible that when you experience sleep paralysis that you're opening a gate to like another realm or even channeling a demon? Yeah, I know there's scientific fact behind everything. Scientific fact behind the sleeping and the, the, the REM, such as Karen said, and all that. And I firmly believe it, but who's to say that there's not some underlying issue there? I don't know. Call me a uh, conspiracy theorist, but it's possible. Why wouldn't it? Okay. 
let's hop on into our next topic, which kind of ties into this one. That's lucid dreaming. Have you ever had a dream and you were fully aware of it? How about have you ever recalled every detail? Okay, okay. What about have you controlled the outcome? That last question right there is kind of key to our topic. Controlling your dreams in a clear state of mind ties us to lucid dreaming. This particular topic is like some ancient Jedi mind trick or something. So let me kind of educate you on what exactly lucid dreaming is. Lucid dreaming is a dream during which the dreamer is aware that they are dreaming. During a lucid dream, the dreamer may gain some amount of control over the dream, character's narrative, and environment. You can consciously manipulate your dreams. You have freedom of choice in this dream reality. So basically, it's like your own Willy Wonka. And, you know, for you younger folks, well, I guess it's going to go right over your head. But... Let's, let me drop some fact bombs on you. The term lucid dreaming was coined back in 1913 by a Dutch psychiatrist named Frederick Van Eden. One out of every five people lucid dream every month. Surveys have shown 50% of people have had lucid dreams in their lives at least once. Lucid dreams do tend to occur in periods of higher cortical arousal. The beginning of lucidity is associated with pauses in breathing, brief change in heart rate, and skin response changes, but there is no unique combination that allows the lucidity to be identified by an observer. Vitamin B6 can increase your dream and intensify it. Lucid dream orgasms can happen and even increase heart rate, changes in vascular tissues, and other muscle reactions. Oh yeah, you heard that right. Even in lucid dreams, you can get your jollies off. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? All muscles become paralyzed when you lucid dream except the eyes. Which brings me to my next point. In 1978 at the University of Hull, a man named Keith Hearn, hope I said that right, was the first man to exploit that eyes move during REM which, if you remember, is rapid eye movement, such as Karen said back during sleep paralysis segment. Around 1981, a man named Alan Worsley first managed to track eye movement by moving his eyes left and right eight times successfully when he became lucid. He tracked this movement using a polygraph that spiked a special signal. All right, so, you know, polygraph, the same thing that they hook you up to, or as the slang term, the lie detector test. They hooked one up to old boy's head, I guess, and tracked when he moved his eyes, and he was able to to um, prove that he moved his eyes willingly, left and right, eight times while he was lucid dreaming. That would be the first milestone when they were able to finally figure out and discover that this was possible. That's, that's pretty freaking cool, actually. 1981, that's that's pretty huge. Let's go ahead and roll into some pros and cons and comparisons of lucid dreaming. We'll start with the cons. 
When practicing lucid dreaming, you could become more aware of sleep paralysis and ultimately trigger anxiety and fear, which would absolutely suck. Those with mental illnesses, con you know, conditions may find that lucid dreams are hard to distinguish from reality. Basically, everything all seems the same to them. And some experience dream claustrophobia from being able to observe the dream but not being able to control it. So, you know, the same claustrophobia is if you were in a tight space and you start getting uncomfortable. People get the same feeling when they're in a dream and they can't control what's happening. So if you're claustrophobic, the real claustrophobic, imagine that in a dream and you not being able to control it. That would be miserable. But those are the cons that I found. So let's move on to uh, some of the pros that I found. It may be successful in limiting the number of nightmares. It could be a source of inspiration or problem solving, such as recalling memories by connecting the conscious and the subconscious. And overall, mastering control in your dreams would be fun. Anything goes. Anything's possible. You know, it's kind of like a big video game. You're the master of puppets in this situation. You're the creator. So, how would you learn to lucid dream? Well, I've got some tips here. If you're interested in lucid dreaming, and you're interested in learning how to lucid dream, the ways of this mystical art, there are steps you can take to train yourself. First being sleep well. Yeah, it's easy enough to say. Sleep well. Get you a good amount of sleep. Two, remember your dreams. You know, a dream journal would help. As goofy as it sounds, if you have a dream, you wake up and you remember your dream, write it down as much detail as you can. I guess the key here would be repetition. As much as you write it down, as, as much as you recite it and remember it, maybe it kind of just burns that scenario into your head and ultimately you'll be uh, triggered. But yes, a dream journal will help in this situation. Use MILD, which is a technique abbreviated M-I-L-D, which stands for Mnemonic Induction to Lucid Dreaming, or using a memory aid before falling asleep, such as telling yourself to realize you're dreaming or stare at an object you associate with a dream. You know, something you think that you would see in a dream, uh, something that would reoccur or you would think would be a good point to trigger for you. Perform reality checks such as examining objects or looking at yourself to determine if you're in a dream or not. You know, I guess uh, look down at your hand. You see your hand every day, front and back. You should be pretty familiar with it and what it looks like. If it looks different in the dream or it starts to change, you realize you're in a dream. If you realize that it looks the same, it's obviously your hand and nothing's different. But at that point, you can distinguish the two and figure out, am I lucid dreaming or am I just dreaming? If you're lucid dreaming, obviously your hand's going to be changing. You know, it'd be warping and be doing whatever. It's kind of what you're aiming for here. So if you're setting out to do that, Good luck to you. And set an alarm to wake up every two hours before you want to. 
and just shut it back off and drift to sleep. This increases the odds of catching your REM sleep at a time where you can be aware of your dream reality. As much as that would suck, studies show that it's effective. And last but not least, relax and become zen. Meditation on the daily will help tremendously in this area. The calmer your mind is and the, the calmer your, your whole aura is, the better off you are. The more the transition would be for you, it would be easy. Most people who achieve the art of lucid dreaming even claim to experience astral projection or more commonly referred to as an out-of-body experience. So let's have fun with this. Could lucid dreaming and deja vu or psychic powers be connected? For example, I have heard of people dreaming of things that happen then eventually no matter the lapsed time, they happen. My dad did this exact thing. We had a private plane crash off a local road about 30 years ago. You see, my dad was having a dream that he was coming up some steps from a basement and looking back and he saw three dead people chasing him. As he reached the basement door, he heard a loud boom. Well, that morning, there was a loud boom. My dad woke up and told my mom that he had been dreaming about a plane crash. And three people were dead in the basement. So they turned on the news to find out that a plane had crashed into a bookstore that was ran out of a home. The plane had crashed into the basement and the pilot and two others were dead. The news shared the details exactly the way my dad told my mom prior to them learning of this. Now I know that's not a lucid dream, but in a way it's kind of a deja vu because, you know, it's something that you would think of and then it later happened or, you know, you've seen it somewhere before, but I it's just, it's too ironic and too strong of a story not to share when it comes to this. I just, I don't know. There's just something about it that just doesn't sit right. It's like it was predicting the future, if you believe in that kind of thing. So, how far-fetched do you believe it can be that if you can consciously be awake in your dreams and alter the outcome... And even recall them in reality. Why couldn't there be a channel where supernaturally you can predict what happens in reality through your dream? You yourself cannot change the outcome of what happens in reality. No. But can all these possibilities not all exist in this dream realm? Or could lucid dreaming be connected to deja vu? I myself experience deja vu all the time. Most of the time, I will dream something, and it's specific, later to witness it happening and then recall it back to how I remember it and question if it was a dream or if it was repeated from somewhere else in life. Not just dreaming. No, I sometimes catch myself in reality recalling things the same way. If you dream lucidly and you change the story of your dreams, think about this. What if you imprint that path in your mind and that's how it later affects in reality? Meaning that if you cement how things go through your dream, through your lucid dream, 
Maybe you subconsciously do these things in life later on without even a second guess, only to trigger the deja vu. Hmm. Pretty interesting if you ask me. I myself have not experienced lucid dreaming. I'd like to. I think it'd be pretty neat. Nor have I had any success tracking anybody down that has been able to do so. But I definitely think that sleep paralysis and lucid dreaming do have a, a, a connection. If you are experiencing sleep paralysis, you are basically halfway to lucid dreaming because you are already unconsciously aware of the things while in the dream state. So if you can recognize this, then I believe you can absolutely turn that paralysis into lucid dreaming so that you can realize it quicker in your dreams so that you can gain mobility in that dream. The paralysis alone is some pretty freaky stuff, so I'm not taking anything away from it, but I definitely think that it could be a possibility, depending on the severity of the dream, that goes along with it, that when experiencing the paralysis, it could be a demon. A freaking demon that is using you as a proxy. Also, I wonder if this alternate state of mind or dream reality could be of another realm. As for the lucid dreaming, I think there is more good in this than there is harm. I also think this could tie your mind into part of your brain that could not reach on a normal basis. To change your dreams is a power only some can achieve and others not. To do this would be monumental for your mental health in general. To alter your state of mind in a dream, to do anything you can possibly imagine, gosh, think of the possibilities. Right? I mean, it just sounds fun. Anything that you want to do, any outcome you want, although when you wake up, will be disappointing to find out it's not the way you mapped it out in your dream, but still would be fun to just... It's just like one industrial-sized psychological game of Sims. That about wraps up another episode of the Rabbit Hole Wanderer podcast. Thank you all for stopping by and checking it out. If you enjoyed, please comment, like, and click subscribe and share the word. Follow me on social media for updates and coverage of things to come. I am on Instagram at rhwandererpod, Twitter at podrhw, and Facebook at fb.me slash rhwpod. You can also email me at thenomad513 at yahoo.com. I hope you enjoyed today's topics. Now, next week, the family and I are actually going to take a small hiatus because we are going on a family vacation that we take once a year. So I will be gone for about a week before I continue researching the next topic for the next episode. So bear with me as you may not see another episode drop right away but rest assured i'm working on it so in the meanwhile i want you all to take care help spread the word let's get this ball rolling let's let's get the rhw pod some notoriety that's our mission out there let's let's spread the word so just hang in there and i will talk to you guys shortly and always heed this message We must wake up.
and open our minds.